0: It's now a tradition. It's like three or four times we've had Mr. Nathan McDowell on the show. We disagree on most things, but do it agreeably. We will go on round four or five of that on this week's Corey Act Show. Welcome in to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts, formerly on his radio talk, but not anymore, but glad to have you with us for this special edition It is often the case that you listen to me talk for 30, 40, 50 minutes, but I have found uh, it is often quite agreeable to the audience for me to talk to someone else. And over the years, I think we've had a lot of success and a lot of healthy conversation with, with Mr. Nathan McDowell. I'll have him reintroduce himself in a minute. Because we, on purpose, talk about the things where we disagree. I'm sure we can get in a room and agree on a lot, but we, on purpose, talk about the things where we disagree. In part, I like to model that where he and I both can hear the other one say something we don't like and our blood pressure doesn't go up. That should be normal, that we can hear things we don't like and our blood pressure not go up. Uh, But also it's just good to test ideas and not be in the echo chamber. And so that's what we're going to do for a little while today. So welcome back to the show, Nathan McDowell. How are you, sir?
1: I'm great. It's great to be back.
0: It's good to do a quick life update because you and I both did something uh, momentous in the last year. And just uh, let us know, it's been like three years since you've been on, maybe two years. Uh, So what's going on lately in Nathan McDowell's life?
1: Yeah, so I started grad school in Chicago in social psych, specifically moral psychology, and I kind of haven't picked my lane yet in terms of religion or politics, but for my thesis, I'm working on political stuff, and then, yeah, most importantly, I just got married in July to Abby, who's wonderful, and we're going on nine months now.
0: Congrats, man. Before we turned on the mic, C and I both were uh, expounding upon how awesome marriage is, better than than I imagined. Um, All right, so here's where we decided we wanted to start. I have had on the show a couple times. My hypothesis, my take on this. So I won't give you mine yet. I'd love for you to start, but here's here's that topic. I mean, we've probably all noticed over the last my lifetime. I'm almost 40, 37 years old. Things have gotten nasty, and things seem to have. And when I say the things, I mean your newsfeed, uh, the new the the cable news channels, the ranker, the level of ranker inside even governments. And so, uh, things seem more extreme, or at least the voices that get the most attention seem the most extreme. And so I have wondered, which side has? And it doesn't have to be side. I'm actually specific here to the parties, the parties that represent each side. Democrats tend to represent leftist Americans or those who would consider themselves on the left. Republicans tend to represent rightist Americans, those that tend to be on the right. And I'm wondering, Nathan, if you have an opinion on which one has gotten more extreme over the last 40 or 50 years.
1: Yeah, so I definitely think they've both gotten a lot more extreme. And so it's a question of just maybe which one has gotten a little bit more but you would um, say to both. the left or the right. Yeah, I definitely think both have. Um, you know, I would say I think the right's gotten more extreme, not surprisingly. And um, maybe I won't lay out the full case for all the reasons that I think that. But I do think one major way you can look at it is if you look at um, just cases of politically motivated Violence on the right and left. Um, it's much more common on the right. I think in twenty twenty-two, um, a stat that liberals love to tout was that all the politically motivated shootings were um done or all the politically motivated murders were done by right wingers in 2022. Um, and I think it's usually most. Um, you know, violence isn't the only cue. I think we could look at um a lot of other things as well, but I think that's a reasonable starting point. Mm-hmm.
0: I'll let me push a a little bit on that and then let me I want to I want to focus in on ideology not intensity because just for example um, I mean we in the last four or five years we've got that that guy that showed up at a congressional baseball practice shot Steve Scalise if he was any decent shot would have killed a lot of members of the Republican Party uh, while he's screaming about how he's, he's a it's about health care. This is for health care. I, th- I think he was a mentally unstable person who's probably not really on the left. He's just mentally unstable, who heard someone on the news say, these people are killing people by not giving a socialized medicine. They're murderers. And so he went to murder the murderers. And so we could uh, go with the, the heck. I mean, we just had a we had a, I would assume someone on the left identifying as transgender just killed three kids and three adults in Nashville. So certainly, the vi- and then violence is one thing. I mean, talk about property destruction as well. I mean, no, that's not violence. Violence against humans is a very different category, uh, so they they can't be directly compared. I, I would say that that used to be the purvey of the left. The left was the destructive; that was normal. And the right has just responded. That that has been a very negative uh, something that very negative that's happened in the last fifteen twenty years. Is the right has started to destroy things and people. Yeah, uh, and it's it is certainly. Um, let's call it disturbing, I think here's where I I land. The rightism since the Trump era, it's really just been since him to me, has gotten dispositionally crazy. Their disposition, the way they behave, and the people who get to behave the most publicly act crazy. But the platform, the ideology, has largely not changed. I think you could ask a Republican in 1990 into 2020 what you think about taxes, health care, crime, role of government, guns, marriage, debt. Except for two issues, I think just immigration and trade, Those, the party really hasn't changed. I think if you asked a 1990s Democrat and a 2020 Democrat the things on crime, taxes, role of government, the debt, marriage, that they are fundamentally different people
1: yeah yeah so i i do think that you know the biggest terrorist threat being domestic right-wing terrorism i do think that's relevant but but i get what you're saying too you know we can we can go back and forth with multiple examples of instances of left and right violence and like property destructions. obviously a category the left would be worse and i think ideologically what i see on the right um two main areas where they're getting more extreme would be in small government ironically i think that trump took the right in a bit of an authoritarian direction in terms of Same stuff Obama did with executive orders, but like he shouldn't be able to be prosecuted civilly or criminally for anything he's done because he's the president, even after he's president and he can declassify documents with his mind and things (laughs) of that nature I find concerning. Um, And then other than Trump specifically, I think, and what he's done around democracy, I think immigration would be the other main thing. I think if you look at Ronald Reagan, especially, I mean, it almost looks like what Democrats would talk about, open borders, and you see people not overstaying their visas, which is the main cause of uh, illegal immigration today. Reagan era, they just go, and then they come back. Um, so so those are the dimensions I think the right's gotten more extreme on. Um, but yeah, I, I do agree the left has more holistically gone left um, across a number of issues. So yeah, I see what you're saying there.
0: The, on the immigration one, because I'm still super pro-immigration, there's a great book in the last year by... Ezra Klein. I think Ezra Klein um, Mm. from Vox, maybe. I think he does Vox Media. I obviously disagree with him on a lot, but he wrote a book called One Billion Americans. And it's the idea of, over the next however many decades it was for him, admitting enough immigrants to get to one billion Americans. In my more traditional conservative view is America is awesome and we should share it. Share it with lots of people. And America is an all-star team of the whole world, so send the whole world this way. And the purview, the purview of a previous right-wingism, so call that Reaganism, or call that George W. Bushism, McCainism, Romneyism, Republicans used to be the party of big big interest, big corporate interest. And corporate interests love to import workers because they can pay them less. It was actually, it used to be the left that would say, and the unions that would say no to immigration because it would d- diminish the income of the working class here. And then Trump came along... <laughs> And it was just, are we against immigration now? Or is, that a, is that a thing? We just don't want, because I, I want more. I mean, I would argue immigrants are often our best Americans. You ask an, you ask an immigrant a sixth grade civics quiz, they nail it. You ask an American 30-year-old a sixth grade civics quiz, they have no idea how the country runs or what the Constitution is. So yeah, I think immigration is the one. But let me, I'm gonna not going to push on it. I just want to make these specifics to see if you have a re, uh, any reaction. I just think of the crime bill of '94 was Joe Biden written and Bill Clinton signed, and now they hate it. Now they hate the, that crime bill. I think of, I mean, Bill Clinton saying in 1996, uh, "The era of big government is over." Whoa, that's something I would say. The era of big government is over, and now we're build back better. There's really nothing the government shouldn't be involved in. We should have government in all things. I would just remind people, 2012, 2012, Barack Obama was saying, marriage is between one man and one woman. And now that's an insane thing. You cannot say that in polite company on the left. Uh, does that resonate with you where, where I'm coming from? That, that, just, that That's big fundamental changes in just my lifetime.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think to speak to both our points, when you look at the, the chart that um, claims to be evidence for asymmetrical polarization, conservatives have gone a little more to the right. The big thing is, Conservatives were actually moving, I think, slightly left. They were still right, but they were relatively moving left up until Reagan, and then you see a sharp turn, whereas for Democrats, they've steadily been getting more left since the 40s. Um, So I think, yeah, I think you see Democrats holistically getting more left, and you see Republicans, there's some more catalytic moments, I think.
0: One final distinction on that, I wonder if we would agree on this. Where I see extremism – on uh, my ideological kindred. It is in their disposition. It's their behavior. The behavior has just gotten... At, like, the who's the woman from Georgia? Um, the congresswoman who acts insane all the time. Can't remember her name right now. She's got Marjorie the, Taylor
1: Greene? Yes. Is that, yeah. <laughs> that
0: and the, the Colorado woman who is similar to her. The, dispositionally, this used... To, I mean, this was a... Guys, this was a party that nominated Mitt Romney, the most anodyne, boring, normal guy. And even the folks surrounding him, we're all just normal, you know, high high dignity people. That's the extreme on the right. It's just been disposition. It's ideological on the left. That, that's at least how I would, that's my final frame of it, but you can have the final word on that topic if you want it.
1: Yeah, I did want to say just, I do think um, crime is something the left has trained radically on. I think a lot of that's good. I would agree that the Clinton crime bill and the Biden one was was racist in a lot of ways. You talk about the crack cocaine sentencing and um, increasing mass incarceration and things like that. Um, but yeah, I do think the defund the police stuff was kind of scary. And I'm not sure how much of it was a loss of messaging in terms of mental health officers can be there too. You know, the policeman and a gun shouldn't be the tool that we're bringing to every situation. And I think that's very reasonable to think about, you know, increasing the tools in our toolkit when, with which we respond to situations. But yeah, I mean, I think it was Chaz, the autonomous zone. Where there was just basically anarchy, and yeah, I think that would be crime would be probably the most notable example on the left uh, getting more extreme for me too.
0: Ideological drift to the extent that it just feels like uh, middle gr- middle grounds are re- almost impossible to find. Like we don't we don't even have like a, a state that finds middle grounds anymore. Just w- whatever party has the slightest advantage just tries to gobble up all that they want. Uh, I, I've often even though I, I do want to, in totality the things that I want, I want my, my full policies put in place, I have been dispositionally an incrementalist all my life, asking, what can I get now? And I don't want to alienate a bunch of people that might be able to help me. What can I get right now? In part because my disposition is the country will be around a thousand years from now, and maybe maybe my people will have convinced more people, and I'll get a little bit more of what we want over time. Whereas I think disp- the, dis- the disposition of folks right now is, I want all what I want right now. Give it to me, and that's just that's just never a healthy way to live. All right, here's one. Here's one where I think we're going to spend a lot of time. The I, I have been reading stories on the show about the relationship between mental health. So people I, I saying that they are self-identify as liberal or conservative, and then the correlation of those being saying that they have been told by a doctor they have anxiety or depression. They've been told by a doctor they have OCD or PTSD or uh, ADD was another one of the, the common ones. And trying to ask ask that question, is there really a correlation? Well, there is, the, the data says there is a correlation, unless you've seen some other data. So correct me if you've seen other data. But if not, I wonder if you have a – because I've given my postulation as to why, or hypothesis as to why. What, do you have a thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I think that there's a few factors at play. Um I think one notable thing that's in the article is it's especially white liberal girls. And we know that women are more likely to be, um, liberal and they're also just more likely to seek care. I also would argue, and we can get into this if you want, but I think liberal ideology is a little bit more open to therapy. Conservatism can sometimes be, you know, be tough, be individual, handle it on your own. So I think there's a component of just more liberals being women. And the liberal ideology being more open to coming forward and saying, you know, I have these feelings and um, they're hurting me or whatever. So I think a component of it is just that. Um, I also think religiosity is definitely, um, that's one of the things I studied over my first year project. And I mean, it's related to better mental health having more stability in your life. I think just being able to handle the afterlife better and all sorts of things, having a guiding moral code. So I think to the extent that conservatism is correlated with religiosity, I think that's a a really big factor as well, which maybe you would agree with. I just, I don't think the conservative ideology is the driving factor so much as the religious ideology of conservatives.
0: I agree totally. I think both of those,
1: I, w- I would have mentioned,
0: part of it is just self-selection that someone given on the, given to being on the left, is more open to hearing or seeking out and asking, do I have a mental health condition? The f- folks on the right, just largely, are not going to ask that question as often and therefore will not be diagnosed with the same regularity. That So that's definitely some portion. I think we both submit that there's a multi-factor here onto why the mental health outcomes. And so I, I agree with the other one. I, I think it's the religiosity corresponds to the, let's, let's go with, the word that comes to it is stick-to-itiveness, but it's not a real word. I mean, be, being able to get through a hard thing, because you, you have some kind of abiding faith that whatever the hard thing is, that there's some purpose for it, that you're going to get through it and get to the other side. So we are agreement on those, that it's not the conservatism, that is making people—necessarily, That's making people less likely to have negative health—mental uh, health outcomes. It's the religiosity, and I would argue as well the fact that conservatives are more likely to be married and stay married. Conservatives are more likely to stay in their hometown and therefore be around mom and dad longer. Conservatives are more likely to be connected to social groups, their church, because they're—that that church or—they're um, going to have that fealty to, I love my hometown. That's why country songs are what they are. You know, you, you feel like you're connected I have this theory. Would love for you to push back on it or tell me if you think there's merit. I think in part it goes back to all the way like a Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, Montesquieu understanding of what do we think? How do we think the world works? I think leftism generally thinks the world is good. It's just all of these fill in the blank people that make it bad. It's the religious people. It's the rich people. It's the privileged people. And if they'd stop getting in the way, the world would just be so good. The the dispensation, not dispensation, the disposition, the way that I see the world is, the world sucks and it's hard. That right now there's 4 billion people on the planet that work to eat that day. And that 99.9% of all humans that have ever been alive have always done that. They've just eked out a little bit of a living and we have no idea how much riches and privilege we live in and so when I see a problem in the world, I'm never surprised by it. I just go, yeah, well the world sucks. Of course it does. Yeah, of course that problem's there. And I think when a leftist sees a problem, they're blown away by the problem. Because how could how could this bad thing be? Because the world should be good. You think there's any merit to that?
1: Yeah. So yeah, do liberals view the world generally more positively than conservatives? I'm not sure. So I'm thinking about like there's a lot of new literature that's refuting stuff that said that conservatives are more intolerant. It basically just shows no conservatives are more intolerant when you ask them about um, liberal targets. But if you flip that and ask liberals about conservative targets, um, like white people are Christians, then now they're looking more prejudiced. Um, and I think the relevance of that is that, I think we're both blaming our problems a lot on the opposite side. I don't know if there are huge differences between the political groups on that front. Um, Yes, I I don't know. I don't know if liberals see the world in a generally more rosy way. I feel like everyone has such a negativity bias. But yeah, what do you think?
0: Let me ask it this one more way that I've thought about. I think that folks on the right, and this is what leads to them having mental health outcomes that are less likely negative. I think because our expectation of the world is that everything is going to be hard. And so any progress is incredible. And so you and I can, with unity, look at disproportionate impact of the criminal justice system on black Americans and decry it and condemn it and want to change it. But the, I think the, di- the difference for right versus left is at the same time, I can look at our situation and go, man, we've come a long way in 250 years. We, we have something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, the left-wing person would say, there's not a thing to celebrate until it's perfect. Until we arrive at where I want to be, I will be angry about it, and I will continue to to, to express hopelessness and express anger until I get exactly what I want.
1: Yeah, I think that definitely is true. And I also think some of, um, I know you've talked about the coddling of the American mind, but I think that um, Height's work does a good job of showing how we can use basically reverse cognitive behavioral therapy on ourselves to mm-hmm. catastrophize, you know, to see all the world through a lens of um, problems and oppression. Um, and I struggle with this as a leftist because I think it's important to call out oppression and inequality and try to address these injustices where they're at. Um, but I don't think there's always a lot of conversation about how do we do that without making it seem like this is the structure of the entire world. Um you know, take CRT, for example. Power is a, is a great lens through which to analyze things. It's one factor. You know, we can't let it dominate the way we view everything. Um, so, yeah, that's something I think a lot about as well. And I think it's difficult to strike the balance of calling out problems without making the whole world seem like a, a catastrophe.
0: And I, so I get the balance problem, too, because I've, I've been accused of being a Pollyanna. I've been accused of not seeing the severity of the problem. On whatever the problem is, you can fill that, that blank in with a thousand different issues. And let's not even make a statement on which attitude is better. One attitude, I think both want progress towards goodness, often towards goodness that would look the same way, often the case. But there's a, a, as related to mental health, there's a lot in me that looks at the world and goes, this is, like the world's hard. So every good thing I see, it was hard to get here, it was hard to get to this good world. And I, I don't know that that's the same. Opposite way. Actually, I have to run a rabbit trail now on this. By chance, have you seen Succession on HBO?
1: I have not, but I've heard about it, dude. Uh,
0: beyond some serious language issues that I don't, I wish I didn't have to hear. It's incredible storytelling. Um, not flattering at all to people who think like me, but a just an incredible show. And here in season four, no spoilers here. There's a big fallout between the dad and the three, the three kids about something, it doesn't matter, and as the dad is leaving, he's walking down New York City Street, he's left his very privileged, wealthy kids, and he sees a homeless man, and he makes a comment about how much better his kids lived than this homeless man, and he makes this really eloquent point as he walks down the street that I would just translate as, the paved roads, the water that you hit in the sink, the fact that it's hot when you want it to be hot, but when you hit the switch, there's electricity. This was built by rough, hard men. The, the incredible world you live in was built by a generation behind you that all the young people just want to crap on now. And there's, there is there is something corresponding to happiness when you just know that what came before me allowed me this incredible world, so I want to keep working towards progress. I'm not happy yet, or I'm not, but I'm going to be happy in the moment. Um, okay, I th- we have explored that some. Do you have any other thoughts on why there is a disparity between rightism and leftism and mental health?
1: Yeah, I think I get your perspective a lot more now on liberals viewing the world and, like, thinking about um, Hobbes and how he recognizes, like, the state of nature is harsh, brutal, and short, or whatever his quote is. But I think that conservatives, especially in some of their older, more philosophical forms, did a good job of recognizing, like, entropy and disorder as the fundamental state of the universe – We have to be careful with how we tinker things because it's always going to produce unintended consequences. Um, And that's something that as a leftist, I agree with. And I think a lot of the time we take the approach of, it's like Woodrow Wilson. The government should be like an orchestra, all beautifully working together and we can all move towards progress. And just um, the real world usually doesn't work how we want in that way. And I'll move in the same direction.
0: Yeah. And ultimately for, for me, I want to see people thriving. I want to see people doing well. Um, and so the even if I don't change someone's policy outcome desire, I, I like to see people change their perspective just to find some happiness uh, in in life. Uh, you're listening to the Corey True Act Show wherever you find podcasts. You can find me Corey True on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for my weird name Corey True Acts. You'll find me there, or email the show at Corey Show at gmail.com. We're talking through Zoom, and this is for the live audience and for Nathan. If this thing really does shut us down in ten minutes, I'll set up another Zoom call and I'll call you back because <laughs> I think Zoom's <laughs> going to shut us down in ten minutes. and so we have more than ten minutes of stuff to say left. Um, okay, what else? I put on our I put on our list here. it has been a lot of talk about book banning, whether that be in the last year uh, rewriting or pulling some books from Dr. Seuss or rewriting some things that folks are offended by, or it's removing books like Gender Queer or. Uh, this book is gay, I think, from, from schools. Uh, then some, some truly dumb stuff. People trying to get things like The Handmaiden's Tale taken out or Huckleberry Finn taken out. There's different gradations of people trying to remove things. Uh, so I, I find, let me say it this way, I find it unfair when folks on the left, say a folks on the right, when, when we say we want a book out of a school that we've tried to ban the book. Like I think of what's going on going on in Florida, they're tr- they're going to remove books like Gender Queer and "This Book Is Gay" from schools, but they didn't ban the book because I could drive right now, I eight or nine hours I could be in Florida and I can get whatever book I want, so it's not a banned book. It's it's really a discussion about what we're going to expose children to. So that's my complaint. Do you have a response to that complaint?
1: Yeah, I think I largely agree with that, and I mean. You know, if you wanted to call it a book ban at the elementary school, then I guess that would be accurate. Then, um, but yeah, and and I definitely agree that some people are using that to try to make it seem, you know, like more of a free speech issue than it is, because I do think it's really about, um, at what point is it appropriate to expose children to certain things?
0: So yeah, it sounds like we're there is some some simpatico at least on whatever the quality of the. The thing itself, the morality of the thing itself. When it comes to children, we do behave behave differently. Which I, th- I think I put in a secondary question there. So you take this wh- what I, when I was when I was giving you notes. Take this wh- wherever you want. I think we're having a moment here of questioning: What is the classroom for? What are we supposed to be doing with young people in class? Because people like me, I'm going to argue: Teaching to read, write, do math. They should no they should know history they should have read the classics but largely don't try to morally form my kid i will morally form my kid do, do you see that being the one conflict between right and left right now
1: yeah i i agree with you it shouldn't be moral teaching in any way i think there's an interesting debate about that's what college used to be and should college still be that or more of an education job training yeah. type program um but no definitely not in public schools um I think the difficulty is that both sides see their beliefs as the default and the other side is attempting to politicize schools so for example like you have to pick how you're going to talk about um slavery in the Confederacy uh you can say that it was the primary cause a main cause a secondary cause right whatever you pick there is going to have political implications we have to talk about the founding fathers and to me Uh, we've talked about this before. I think it's a very subjective and difficult moral question how much we can exempt someone who was a slave owner, which is an absolutely terrible act, but then also that was normal at the time and did all these other great things. To me, I think ideology inevitably comes into that, and I think a lot of these questions are hard to answer without, I think it's going to have some level of politicization to it.
0: Yeah. On history, you went went directly to history. I, at some level... I know this sounds like a joke. I know it sounds like I'm trying to be funny. I'm being serious. I kind of want to ask Lynn manuel Miranda, who wrote Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. How would you do it? Because I thought he nailed it. Like, with, with Hamilton, in terms of making sure we understood slavery's role, and, you, you, and generally, white suprem- that would have been true white supremacy, as in this ethnicity of people aren't human they're below us you could probably have emphasized that some more but also venerated the character of our of our founders in a lot of ways showed them as flawed i mean I, you can't give it to one guy <laughs> i'm just saying it. we're talking about american history i thought he kind of nailed it in, in hamilton and I, I just came back from new york city about a month ago with my wife we saw hamilton and i'm sitting in a probably one of the most liberal places in the world. Probably sitting in a room with a bunch of people opposite of me, and we all loved it. We we all saw. Uh, I, I even think, dude, I'm ready to replace the national anthem with one of the songs from Hamilton, where we just we just stop singing the Star Spangled Banner. It's that 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 kind of pride you can get for the country. There, have you are you familiar with that? Do you do you? Because th- I actually had some leftists tell me they don't like Hamilton because it doesn't emphasize enough how racisty racist the country was. Your thoughts on how we how we talked about
1: history? Yeah, so I had a conversation with this about uh, um, with a few of my friends, and I think Hamilton was great. I think we put a lot of responsibility on um, singular works of art to correct an entire culture. So like, I would agree with the claim that maybe we don't highlight slavery um, enough um, in terms of the founders, and we should discuss that more. Um, but yeah, I personally didn't have a problem with it in Hamilton, and I really liked the the story it told, and you know, it was also one of the most diverse casts, and I think sometimes, like with what you were saying, if you're an in-group member, you kind of open yourself up to more criticism. It's like, yeah, this was a liberal musical, but it wasn't liberal enough, so now we're coming for you.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good way to bring it all back around. All right, so we're coming up on three minutes before this shuts us down, and so here's what I'm going to do for the audience and for you. Take a quick break. When we come back, I... Actually, want to come back around to that mental health point because I just thought of something I didn't get to say, and a good clean break will be a good time to bring that back up, and then we'll do something I'm way less way less interested in. Is more and more as I get get older. And that's presidential politics. We'll see how how you're feeling about the race as it's starting to shape up. So first, let me apologize for not preparing for you, Nathan. I know you you have things to do today. Uh, but give me five minutes to create a new Zoom link. I will send that over. And for the podcast audience, you're going to have to wait like three seconds, really, in real time. And we'll be back. So uh, we'll be back in just a minute with more of the Court Act Show with Nathan McDowell. Welcome back. We have now another 30 minutes on Zoom's Dime. Here's, here I am, the capitalist, trying to get things for free. It's just uh, it's not consistent with my ide- ideology. We're back with Nathan McDowell. Hi there, sir. Hello. Um, I wanted to come back to the connection between mental health and, uh, and, and ideology because I don't make notes, and I'm irresponsible that way. I, I came into the conversation wanting to bring this point up and get your reaction. Uh, here's, uh, I think, a connection to happiness my generation was the first one that got told happiness comes from being true to yourself don't don't get too mad at me everybody for beating up on some disney characters but ultimately for example example we were told to admire jasmine who told her sultan dad who's an idiot who actually was pretty smart don't marry the vagrant and he she just throws him off Ariel says to her royal dad triton i'll do whatever i want The way to happiness is be true to yourself. Whereas the heroes of art before that, I can't think of the movie with, um, I think Charleston Heston was in it. Heston's character falls for a younger woman and he's married and has kids and the hero thing to do was not be true to himself. It was to be true to his vows and his wife and his kids. And I think one of the reasons we are so miserable is we started to define ourselves by us, how I feel, whereas we... We are happier if we define ourselves that I'm that guy's son, if you have a good father or a good mom. I'm this person's employee, and I'm a church member over there, and I work for that place, and I go to school at this place, and I have duties to fulfill as a son, a husband, a student, an employee, a countryman, as a patriot. So do you think there's any connection? Because I, I could be missing there, but I perceive that part of our – that we're unhappy is that we've started focusing on ourselves instead of our duties to others.
1: No, yeah, I totally agree, and I think um, one big aspect of, like, this quest for authenticity that I think causes a problem is there's no such thing as, like, a stable self. Obviously, we're somewhat the same person throughout our lives, but we're different depending on who we're around, where we're at. I mean, I can even tell, like, driving to Chicago, like, it's a very different vibe, and you kind of, you act a little bit differently than when you're in the South, and so... um, I think trying to like be perfectly consistent across all situations and have this like branded identity is is really impossible. Yeah. And then, like you said, I think I think real happiness comes from community and from helping other people, not from this like quest for magical personal identity that'll solve all our problems. Um,
0: yeah, that's something I would just encourage anyone listening, right or left. There is a cacophony of messaging that says above all else, be true to yourself, where I, you. Hey, you're, you're in the field, man. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, am I correct that there is data that says there's dopamine hit when you do something nice for someone else? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> there's connection here in just be good to others. Be good to others. And as, as Jesus said, be, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. There's actually some happiness there. and I, I can't even connect that really to right or left ideology. I'm just saying it's one of the reasons we're all miserable. I, th- I think maybe leftism pushes it a little more. But consider the um, part of American rightism is autonomous individual. My, my individualism, we called it rugged individualism, which was just the government needs to leave me alone. Leftism took it somewhere else, so it's a different kind of individualism. But individualism can get toxic and make you miserable. All right, before I get to the last one, any thoughts on last thoughts on that one?
1: Um, nope, no last Good. thoughts. <laughs> Good. All
0: right, because Nathan and I are going to try to do this again a couple times during the summer. We'll get into some other things, but final one for today. Um, First, I think you brought up maybe getting into the presidential races. I will admit, now that I've lived about 20 years of adult life, I am become less and less interested in this only because I lived through Obama and Trump, two very, very different people. And what I found during those presidencies is it didn't really affect my life. I I let Obama affect my emotions too much. I was immature. I was angry. I was kind of nasty back then. Um, And so I let him affect my emotions, but my real life was fine. I just lived my life... I let Trump affect my emotions a little too much at the beginning, uh, but my real life was fine. Life was just going fine. They didn't really affect my life. And heck, I have now lived through Biden, and it's largely not affecting my life. And I don't think whoever the, whoever the next president is is going to affect my life all that much. But uh, it still matters. It's part of the world. We should care. So before I give you my thoughts, um, what what's your? I don't, I don't want to call it a prediction, but what are your uh, what are your thoughts and feelings as we go into election season?
1: Yeah. I usually really hate to make predictions, but I actually feel pretty good about this one. I mean, it it seems to me that there's not going to be a Republican candidate that can unseat Trump with his base. Um, and anybody who tries to pick up the Trump mantle, like I think Mike Pence or Ron DeSantis, potentially, I, I don't think they'll do it as successfully as as Trump himself. So I think Trump's going to win the primary. And I really don't see him winning a general election again. So I think we're going to get our incumbent Joe Biden, who I don't love either. But uh, yeah, that's my prediction.
0: That's funny. You and I are on the exact same page. Um, Trump just looks unbeatable. He looks uh, in, in a primary. And I've looked every every which way, at the calendar, at the candidates. I hate it. I, I cannot stand that that's true. I will vote in South Carolina's Republican primary for whoever seems most likely to be able to beat him. But he just seems inevitable. And yes, equally, like who uh, who who hasn't made a decision about Donald Trump right now <laughs> like he's been the centerpiece of politics like he's been the the center of gravity for almost 10 years in American life everyone has an opinion on him the same 82 million people I think that voted to show, to vote against him in 2020 the same 82 million are showing up again right and maybe the same 78 million to show up to vote for him maybe but in, in the end you can't – I mean, he, he's, just, he's shown himself to be a loser in 2020 and then losing two Georgia seats and then in 2022 underperforming because he directed Republicans to go nominate people that – i I'm trying to say something less mean. It, it's almost as if they went into a mental asylum and were like, you, Herschel Walker, you, how about you come on over? Like, why are you nominating crazy people? Crazy people are not a, uh, the – Oh, I forgot his name, the, the guy who who was nominated for governor in Pennsylvania, just an insane person. And so even in these, uh, in what should be competitive situations, he makes them uncompetitive. And so I would like to see something different. Here's what I actually suspect is happening. There's a reason Ron DeSantis is not really attacking Trump and Trump's attacking him. I think DeSantis is making a deal knowing that Trump is bound by one term, that even if he did win— DeSantis is right there to try to... He's a young man. He's 44. He's not... Believe it or not, this is weird to say, the governor of Florida is not all that much older than I am. He's just, a, what, six years older than I am? He's not, not much. So he's got all kinds of time. I think Haley's playing that game because she's 51. I think Scott's playing that game. He's in his early 60s. They just know if he does win, I'm the heir apparent if I can BVP. VP. I don't even think any of these people think they're going to be president. I don't think a single one of them thinks that. I think they all think they are setting themselves up to be president later on. That's uh, that's my take on the Republican primary. Uh, and then we'll we'll do it again for years later. Yeah, I think I think
1: President Biden's going to win him.
0: Does it surprise you that he ran again? Were you surprised by that?
1: Oh, I don't think I was surprised, but yeah, I was disappointed. I think that Trump and Biden are not the most cognitively agile, um, and Dude, probably that
0: was the nicest way to say that ever. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and so I don't know if there should be an age limit or an intelligence test or or what, but yeah, <laughs> I could land on
0: age limit. We already have a minimum age limit. It's a twenty-five for Congress, thirty for Senate, thirty-five for President. That even feels young to me because at thirty-seven, I would not have the hubris to think for a second. Like, there's a guy running for Republicans named Vivek Ramaswamy. He's my name. He's. Do you know this know this guy by chance? I don't. He got famous for uh, for bringing ESG uh, to the forefront. Are you familiar with that debate about ESG? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he brought that to the forefront in a lot of Wall Street investor calls, started his own investment company so that people like me, who don't want to invest in certain kind of companies, can invest with, with him. He is 38 and running for President of the United States. And I'm just telling you, you're too young, man. The same, the same way that I am confident that both the Republican and Democrat nominee, it, how did you say it, cognitively agile? Yeah, <laughs> I'm using that man. They're not cognitively agile enough to be president to, for Vivek Ramaswamy, bro. You got growing up to do. It's a little, little much. Okay, um, we have taken a full forty minutes, and I think that's that's good because in the summer you're good to do a couple more of these. Yeah, definitely. We can save some of the saltier things for uh, for the future. It's always a pleasure, so thanks for doing it. Yeah, it's been great. And uh, certainly, I, are you in school during the summer, or are you, um, you, you you finish for the summer?
1: So I don't take classes, and I don't have to teach classes. So it's basically just research, um, which is much more flexible. And so, yeah, I have more time to do stuff like podcasts.
0: At, at some point soon, am I going to have to call you Dr. Nathan?
1: Hopefully, if I make it there, yeah. <laughs>
0: no, man, I've, I mean, I've seen your potential over the years. I know you're going to make it there. It's just a question of, of when. Um, so you go and enjoy the, the weekend with your wife. I'm going to do the same. Uh, Mr. Nathan, do I call you Mr. Nathan Digby or McDowell?
1: Uh, Mr. Nathan Digby. Mr. That's Nathan perfect. <laughs>
0: Digby, thank you for doing it to my audience. So you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Look for Corey Truax. You can do uh, Show at gmail.com if you have feedback. I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. I'll also be back with Nathan later in the summer as we talk about other things. And until next time, everybody, peace and love.